Hey everyone, and welcome back to my first season. My guest today is probably only the second gestionnaire to appear on my first season in the two years and seven months of this podcast. He went to Club Med three times as a GM in the late 80s to Martinique, La Caravelle, and St. Lucia, and that lit the spark for him to apply to Club Med. He worked for Club Med from 1988 to 1999, and his first season was in Club Med Playa Blanca as a cashier. He has a degree in marketing from Fordham University, and he met his future wife in 1993 in Club Med and has been married for 27 years now. From New York, please help me welcome the one and only Kevin Klein. Hey, Kevin, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. All right, so just so people know, I'm not interviewing the American actor, Kevin Klein. You are Kevin Klein, the gestionaire from Club Med, correct? Correct. Same pronunciation, different spelling, right? Yes, like Calvin Klein. Okay, that's right. <laughs> don't get me. Don't see. Now I'm going to start thinking of Seinfeld now. Okay. So why, why is it New Yorkers always get me thinking about Seinfeld? I love that show. Okay. I'm going to try and uh, stick on, stay on topic here. So I've always uh, heard your name. I've seen your name. I, I've known who you are. You know, your, your name's come up. Uh, I, I see you make posts. So I'm very happy that you said yes to coming on the show. So uh, a big, big uh, heartfelt thank you from me. Thank you, sir. Oh, you're welcome. It's a, my, my pleasure, actually. And like I said, we we don't get enough gestionaires. So I, uh, you know, I really like hearing that side of the, you know, the stories of the village, what goes on behind those closed doors, you know, how many people are on the blacklist, <laughs> that type of thing. No, I'm kidding. Okay. We don't have to bring up the blacklist. I was never on it for the record. Okay. All right. So we said uh, when you were uh, when you were younger, you went to Club Med three times. Okay, on on vacation as a GM, and I'm assuming you you uh, you like Club Med, right? Oh yeah, it was uh, an eye opener for a guy working in Manhattan. I just needed to relax, and boy, could I relax my my first time in Martinique. That was in '85. It prompted me to go to La Caravelle in summer of 86 and that kept the fire going thinking I'm I enjoyed this vacation but it was the third time when I was in St. Lucia that kind of lit the fire that I think I should do this job instead well yeah you're a smart guy right in your office would basically be the beach and a palm tree now I see you notice I noticed you went to three French uh, French islands did you speak French well, I had high school French, but I had 10 years to lose it. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> I decided just the summer before I when I was applying to take a college course, which didn't help much because it was a French literature course and it was very, very difficult. Oh, so you're reading uh, Moliere and Voltaire and all that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, it didn't, didn't work out too well. No, that, that probably wouldn't have helped you at Club Med either. Like, I'm sure the dinner guests would be enthralled to hear about Voltaire at the at the dinner table, right? Okay. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, when you applied, I assume you did your interview in New York City? Yes, I did. In fact, uh, the person who interviewed me was the gestionnaire when I was in St. Lucia. So we had previously met. Really? You're kidding. No. You actually, you actually talked to the gestionnaire on your vacation? Well, we didn't meet like directly, but we, I knew who he was because I kind of saw him around the village when I saw him in, you know, and I heard his name. I knew it was someone from there. And is that what you really wanted to do? Like 
I know, I know, I know you just can't get thrown into gestionnaire, but is that where, is that where you, where you saw yourself working? Absolutely not. Okay. Okay. What did you want to do? I want to be on the beach. Okay. The beach. Sports. <laughs> right. Sports. So, okay. God bless me too. God bless you. I was scuba gestion my first season. I hated it. I wanted to do what the land sports guys were doing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. That's refreshing to hear. Thank you for that. Okay. All right. So, but they, and how about how long after the interview do they call you roughly in weeks, months? Uh, I don't recall exactly. I think it was a couple, you know, a couple of weeks. Uh, no, maybe a couple of months because I did send a follow-up letter thanking them for the interview. Okay. And they, they call you, they say, you know what, Kevin, you're going to Playa Blanca. You're going to be there with Yay. Did you know anything about the Playa? You must have heard about it when you're in Martinique, I'm guessing, right? No, no, I had, I knew nothing about it. I just knew I was going to, they put me in the office because that's what they thought I'd be good at. All right. And cashier. So was that at the reception, that position? Well, that was before reception when they had the bank office, which took the cash transactions, the planning office which did the room assignments and the transportation office. So it was all three separate things. It wasn't run as a reception. So is this before even the, that white card that guests would charge the room? Is it before that? Oh, no, we used to, everything was, there was no white cards. Everything was just signed on little pieces of paper. We called them ODs, Operation de Verre. Yeah. And signed for your bar beads you would sign in the boutique and all that paperwork would come to the bank and we'd manually enter it to everyone's account. And hopefully we entered it to the right accounts. Yeah. So did you, did you have to balance at the end of every day? Well, yeah, the um, chief of the bank, as we would say, she was responsible to make sure that the money was in and out was correct. But most importantly, you know, we would, be taking and charging our guests and the proper guests, because of course guests would dispute if there was a charge they didn't recognize. Yeah. I didn't drink all that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you. All right. What did you think of Playa? Because everyone I know loves Playa, but what did you think of Playa in 88? Oh, Playa was a great party for me. It was a great transition. I couldn't have had a better time. My, my start there was quite interesting, though, if I may, may tell you a quick little story. Yes, please. Uh, so I arrived and I was the first American in the village because it was a reopening. I didn't know anybody there, of course, but there were only a couple Canadians there. The rest were all French. And as my French was not really decent yet, I talked to a few Canadians and there was no one there from the office. So the first day I went and I met a guy named Bob Christian. And I helped him set up the trapeze rig. That really? First... Yes. Okay. So, and it was yeah. always, it's always where it's been, right? Like kind of by the entrance of the village. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That first place he put it. And then, you know, a couple of days later, Peter Gold arrived and uh, I was back sitting in the office doing next to nothing because we had no guests to charge. That's right. <laughs> Did you ever do that uh, famous trip to Puerto, Puerto Vallarta, the three hours each way to pick up guests? Did you, did you ever have to do that? Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, we were all fortunate to do that trip. <laughs> okay. That was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> got him, got him into the village and you know, and, 
I didn't do it too many times because of checkout, check-in day, you know, we had to deal with uh, the cashier, you know, position and taking care of the, them paying their bills before they leave. But I did do it a few times. Yes. And what, it was lovely. what else do you remember about that first season? I in, really enjoyed doing the animation, especially the passages during the afternoon with the infamous fat man, Mark Vandenbroek from Belgium. Worked with him a few seasons because he he was always tagging along with uh, the chief of village Yay. and yeah, I that's where I enjoyed. I couldn't dance. I mean, I was put in some shows, you know, but we did best little whorehouse in Texas, and I I tried to dance, but mostly I I was involved in comedy shticks. Oh, you was, actually you actually did that show in Club Med. Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm I'm only familiar with the with the movie. I mean, yes, I know it was a play, I believe first, but I, I didn't know that Club Med. That's the first time I ever I hear that 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 was a show. Yeah. But not surprisingly, it was in Playa Blanca. <laughs> uh, Martine La Charité, who married um, Eric Perrinet, she mm -hmm. was Dolly Parton. Okay, <laughs> uh, and appropriately cast. Okay. Oh. Enough uh, said. Enough said, right? But I, yeah. If anyone, yeah, has never seen Dolly Parton, well, just Google her. Okay. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. We we you know so listeners, uh, Kevin's done so many seasons. We, we can't do them all in such a short time. So we're gonna we're gonna cherry pick here. I would like to know. So okay. So you do from Playa, you go to Snarbe, Extapa. That your response that response case. So what happens? After your season at Xtapa, do you ask to be a gestion or they just said, we're going to make you a gestion? Well, I, I had a great season, had a lot of fun, did a lot of entertaining, a lot of animation as I could make my flexible schedule and have my cashier working when, when I wanted to do things. I was asked by the chief of village to follow him. Lionel Oberte was going to Morea, but there was no stage for agestion. Normally there's a stage first. So you train and then you become an agestion. So he just said, I don't care. I want this guy. I go as an agestion. And I get there and the gestionnaire says, this guy knows nothing. He's a pain in my butt because I have to teach him everything. I don't want to teach him everything. So I ended up still learning a fair amount, but I was teaching myself and doing whatever work he decided to give me. All right. And this was in uh, Morea, right? In December of 89 in Morea. Okay. Was it, uh, was it hard to learn everything or was it just, did it come easy for you? I don't think it was that hard. I was doing mostly entering uh, billings for suppliers. I was handling the Barbies account between the hostesses and, you know, uh, managing that. I, I don't think it was too hard, but like I said, he didn't want to teach me too much. So what I ended up doing was more entertainment, including hosting with the French uh, sound engineer. I would do the English. He would do the French when we do the coffee games before uh, dinner, you know, the, or the aperitif games. Sorry, not coffee games. That's after lunch. But yeah, we, we would just do a back and forth between us in English, French, because we understood each other well enough. And uh, occasionally... I actually uh, introduced some shows, including the Lip Sync show. Oh, really? They put you on the mic? Yeah, that was okay. cool. difficult. But yeah, I yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's not easy at first. <laughs> no. Next season, because uh, I do want to talk about your chief, because you go to Eleuthera, 1990, okay, and May of 1990 with Denis Absalom, oh, and I think it's around this time that he had a very famous saying, right? Uh, yes. That he will now. Who who exactly had to go in the pool? Was it someone that made a mistake? Generally speaking, if you screwed up doing a crazy sign or you did something unusual in the show, you were in the pool. Okay. And there you didn't have a choice. You had to go and or people would help you you in, right? Okay. Yeah, basically, no matter what you were wearing, you know. Elegant night. Whoop, you're in, right? Okay. Yeah, sorry. So hopefully it was just uh, a costume that you were wearing for the show. That would have been better. Okay. Did you ever have to go swimming, so to speak? Oh, I'm sure I did. I can't recall, but I'm sure pretty much everybody had that opportunity. Okay. No one was exempt, right? Okay. Correct. All right. Now here's something interesting we uncovered during your pre-interview. You go to Copper Mountain in November and um, your position is still a gestion, but here you meet a guest that we had on, a Mr. Stefan Cote. So can you... Uh, and I spoke, we spoke about his wedding on the, on his episode, but do you have anything to add to that? Oh, yes. Um, he didn't mention it, but I was his witness. There were two witnesses and I was the male witness for him. And there was a female witness for uh, Lisa. So we snuck out of the village and uh, went to Breckenridge, like he mentioned. And uh, I was there and because of him, he's still together with his wife, Lisa. Yeah, and it's crazy. He said they did all that and still got back in time for the show. But that yeah. seems seems like a heck, crazy, hectic night to me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Go to the Justice of the Peace, go to dinner, you know, go over ring shopping first, get married, boom. <laughs> Were you in the show that night too, Kevin? I don't recall. Huh? Okay. But we, we did have some nice shows there, including um, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Okay. Where I was narrator. Okay, so you you weren't Rocky like I was. Um, no. no. Okay, <laughs> but the narrator does. You must have saw your fair share of getting beamed with the toilet paper, or were you in a cage like they later developed for the narrator? <laughs> no, no, I was not in a cage. But I would like, <laughs> if I may, to take you on a strange journey, Brad and Janet. Wow, you remember better, that? Better. the the beginning part? I remember. Okay. Now, had you seen Rocky Horror? Because I had never seen it. Did you know what was oh, going on? Absolutely. Oh, okay. Eighth Street Playhouse, New York City during college, which oh was my, the oh premier my, place to see it. Oh, my God. Are you serious? So you you saw it at the height. You were there with the oh. rice and the toast and <laughs> everything. Oh, wow. That must have been some some that. See that if you could go back in time, that's something I'd like to do. Okay, <laughs> See oh. it just when it came out. Wow, that's yeah, amazing. Because those were the real actors. Yes, exactly. Yeah. All right. Whew. Okay. Now I do want to talk about when you get promoted suggestion, but you know, we we get, we go out, we have a couple of villages go through. I I do see you hooked up with uh, Ye a lot. So um I'm guessing that you and Ye got along well because I see you did Martinique, Cancun, and Phuket. Uh is that fair to say? That's fair to say. I I participated in the gang of eight. Like he always wanted contact, contact. Okay. The, okay. What's Gang of Eight again? 
this oh, is um, it basically was like a fun fair where you had a sheet of paper you had like 12 yeah. different things to do around the the area and they were silly acts and not really skilled things but in the end it finished with a rock and roll dance and a waltz and the winning team would win cheap mexican or french champagne whatever it was okay well, let's talk a bit about your season in Phuket because uh, the whole time you've been in the American zone, you know, West Indies, uh, Mexico. So you go to, I'm assuming this was your first time in Asia when you went to Phuket in 92, right? So was there any kind of culture shock or anything? Uh, no, not really, because my time in Murray, I met a lot of the Japanese and, and some great Japanese GOs, including uh, Kuni, who was a cook. Uh, he was phenomenal. He never be, he should have been a chief of village, but he liked cooking. Phuket was very, very interesting for me. I had a great gestionnaire who followed Ye all the time. That's why I never ended up working for Ye as a gestionnaire. But Sylvie Genkis, she, uh, she gave me a lot of uh, free time to do the entertaining part of the, the job that yay always appreciated a lot of back gm yes sir so after phuket they send you to zinal switzerland and another former guest that was on mike coltman talked about this season and this is the season where you are pro promoted to gestionnaire i believe correct correct and and you know talk about the right place to be by then my french was decent but the swiss when they speak french they speak it very slowly so it was perfect for this American guy. I could go to the bank and understand them. The, the French guests put up with my French. The Belgian guests always switched to English. There were Italian guests who spoke English with me. And Mike was a very, how, how would you say? He's always been very caring and warm with his team in a fun way. And he definitely uh, gave me a sense of calm learning my learning the ropes as a full-flown gestionnaire. Okay. Were there any um, difficulties your first season as gestionnaire or by then you had done a gestion and you had learned the job that it was pretty standard for you? No, I didn't really have any difficulties. Uh, it seemed pretty smooth because with the Gulf War, it slowed down and closed a lot of villages. So that kind of gave me more time as a uh, a gestion because there weren't the number of promotions that they expected so i was pretty seasoned by the time i was gestionnaire okay now before we get into too much about tuco i'm just curious when when you finished your season in zinal were you asked where, where you wanted to go do they give the gestionnaire a dream sheet like the rest of us and you have to pick three villages uh, no, Dream Sheet's pretty much gone by then. Okay. Uh, yeah. So were, were you sent but there? Kind of like good. Well, I be, because I had done a gestion in Watuko, they thought it would be a good idea to send me back. And okay. uh, they, they were right. They were right. I knew the job 100% there. Uh, I was familiar with the, the systems and I, I was comfortable. It was very comfortable going back to Watuko. And it had to be because I ended up being there for 19 months. Okay. Well, I asked that question because 
I'm always, I'm always curious, like, you know, how, if you, you know, take a different door, turn a different corner. So if you had never worked in Watuko, maybe they would not have sent you there and you would not have met your wife. Do you ever think about this or no, I'm just crazy. No, you're not crazy, but I've never thought of that. Okay. <laughs> well, you do. You meet your wife, Karina, right? Karina, yeah. And so can you tell me about that? Do you recall that first encounter? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So we had all the, we probably had about a dozen geos, uh, you know, temporary geos from Mexico City come for the Christmas holidays in December 93. And she and a friend of hers were sitting at the bar you know, just outside, crazy signs was done. And I finished working. I often worked during the show if I wasn't in it because it was a good quiet time for me to get things on. And I had done, it was probably around 11 o'clock. I walked down and I see her and a friend and I just go over and say hi, just to, you know, be a good host, so to speak. And uh, we talked and we talked. And next thing you know, we were at the disco and we talked and we talked and uh, it went on from there. Got it. Okay. So, all right. And yeah, let's just mention, uh, so Lafice uh, is the chief of village and this is your first time meeting Lafice or working with Lafice? Yes. My, my backgammon player. Oh, really? Who was, uh, are you allowed to say who, who won, who won mostly? Was it you or him or was it a dead no, tile? Of course. He was, a, he, he, he was a shark. Oh, really? He, he was? <laughs> he was brilliant. That I think it must be like a national pastime in Greece to okay. play now, did you two play for bar tickets or anything? No, we just played while we were waiting for the one thirty arrival from Dallas. One thirty in the morning, of course. So t typically, how long would the games last? If he was oh, that we, good? we play we play three or four games at a time sometimes. Okay, all right. You know? it, oh yes. Yeah. So, so you so you said you spent nineteen months. So I'm assuming you played a lot of backgammon in that time. Yeah, after uh, Lefis, I get to play with. I, I didn't get to play that much more, but I also enjoyed the squash there. And I loved playing softball there. They had, I, they had a short porch from the way I swing the bat. So okay. <laughs> I, I didn't know they had softball at, uh, in Waltuco back then. Okay. That's yeah, nice. Yeah. So yeah, 19, they, 19 uh, months. I still, I still can't get over that. That's a, that's a rather long time in one place, right? Back in the day, it was still just a year for gestionaires. But then shortly after, it became a two-year commitment uh, for gestionaires, unless, of course, the village was a seasonal village, like Switzerland was just open for a short summer and then a short winter. But no, 19 months flew by because I was dating this cute Mexican girl, you know, whose parent, her dad was saying, stop talking to that guy. Okay. Yeah, I assume that the so the parents did come and, and visit occasionally. <laughs> no, they never no? visit. Oh, okay. Now, was she, what was what what job was your wife, uh, your future wife, doing at the time? Uh, she started in the mini club, and then she came back for Easter uh, break in the mini club, and then during the summer, I invited her to come and work in the telephone office because back then they didn't have telephones in the room. They had like three telephones working off a telephone operator uh, for the entire thousand guests if we were full. So she did that. So she was technically working for me, but 
you know, no, no problems there. And then she kept, you know, I kept having her come back when there were positions available for mini club. Okay. Did she have to call you boss? No. No. Okay. No. Now, so October 25th, 1994, Stonewall Tuco, the chief of village changes, Eric Perronet comes in. Now, this is the story uh, we talked about. So there was a proposal uh, of sorts, but um, if you could uh, take me through it, let's make sure we use the word tipsy. Okay. Okay. So take it away, Kevin. <laughs> okay. So now we've, it's been about a year. I know my, my wife on and off, but the on times were very intense because you, you got to see each other every day. You know, when you date someone, normally you, maybe you see them once a week or once every few days, I would see her for weeks every day. We had a party for the geos after Christmas because we couldn't have a Christmas party while the guests were there. We had to take care of the guests, of course. So we're around the pool and I had had a few and she had had a few. And I, I asked her, you know, would you follow me? Would, would you marry me and just go wherever I work? And she said, yes. And then the next day she avoided me all day. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, what's going on? And she re realized she had answered yes to a marriage proposal. Okay. <laughs> so the next step was well, well, well just, just what? Excuse me, Kevin. Uh, did you at, and also at one point ask yourself, did I did I propose last night? You know. Did oh I? no. Okay. Oh, you remembered. Okay. Oh, I knew exactly what I was doing. Okay, got it. Okay. I had I had finally met the woman who has, I was going to spend the rest of my life with. Uh, there, was no, there was no question. She adored me. I loved her. It was, it was great. And, and you know, we're married 27 years now. Okay. Uh, well, let's no. go back to you track her down by the end of the day. And you, so she realizes it did happen. Uh, you get over maybe some little awkwardness and then what happens? Well, I tell her, you know, you need to, tell your parents. So that was the next step was, okay, when are you going to tell your parents? Okay. So it's like, <laughs> come on, you got to tell your parents. And the one time I was on the phone with her and I said, put your dad on. Okay. And she said, oh, no, no, I'll tell him. I'll tell him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Now you go back to Zinal in June, right? Chief of Village Arlette Gilles. And uh, this is another part of the story, story I like because I'm unfamiliar with uh, with how things work. So in order, now, did you get married in Switzerland? No. So we got married in Mexico. Okay. But we're both Catholic. Yes. Uh, so we had to have permission from the church to get married. Wait, wait, excuse me, Kevin. The, the Mexican church or Catholic church? The Catholic church. It doesn't really? matter. Oh, you really? You, you have what they call pre-cana. You have to go to like some classes and they want to make what? sure. What? Okay. Yes. Sorry, I, I, I didn't if, know this. <laughs> yes. If you want to get married in a real church with a real priest and you want to do it the right way, they have all these little rules. Okay. So one, one was the interview. Well, I couldn't really do the interview to move the process forward in Mexico if I was in Switzerland. So... 
Karina came to Switzerland, traveled on her own. I don't know why her parents let her do this. And I hadn't even met them yet. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's what why I didn't understand it. I haven't even asked her her for her hand in marriage from her father. So she comes over. We meet this French priest who handled our village and the village next door. And he interviewed us. Now, he only spoke French. So he's asking me the questions. I'm translating to Karina, but not in English. I was translating in Spanish. So, so it was quite, quite amusing. And uh, then afterwards, you know, he, he signed off some papers that she had brought. And we had some nice wine in his cave, his little uh, wine cellar that he had. And he gave me a bottle for us to take home. And then I gave that bottle to her parents. And okay. I, now I have the empty bottle in our house here. <laughs> All right. And did the father take to you at some point? Oh, yeah. It, after the Spanish Inquisition in a, a restaurant <laughs> on Insurgentes, <laughs> Mexico City. Yeah, everything's so, good. Miguel and I get along great because we, we share some uh, common uh, interests. Okay, great. Can I ask what one of those interests are, if, if I may pry? Oh, sure. Amer American football. Ah, okay. I, I have to say American football because in Mexico they play football. That's right. That's right. But my my brother-in-law played as a kid through high school American football. So they're big Dallas Cowboy fans. Now, we don't agree on teams, but we okay. do agree on football. <laughs> okay. That's the important thing, right? <laughs> All right. And I believe, so this is summer in Switzerland, but you get married uh, October 14th in Mexico? Correct. In a 350-year-old okay. church. Really? Beautiful. Beautiful wow. old stone. Okay. And then, so now you're officially in couple. Okay. And now they have to figure out where to send both of you. So was that any, um, was that easy, easy thing to do? Well, it depended on where you wanted to go, I guess. They had the idea that I would be a good fit in Sandpiper being that I'm an American, they don't have to teach me much. They don't have to worry about getting a visa, wasting a visa on someone. And I said, well, that's all fine and good. Uh, just, but you know, my wife has to come. And they, and they said, okay, we'll, we'll get her a job in the reception. So once again, uh -oh. I was boss. Okay. <laughs> and so this time it's October 28, 1995. You get to Sandpiper with Howard McCarley, another guest that we have on, your gestionnaire. You do about a year with Howard overall, I think, right? Correct, correct. Do yeah, you have any great. good? Do you have any good appropriate Howard stories? Because we love Howard here. Nothing that anybody hasn't heard. Okay. Uh, you know, but uh, Howard was a very good uh, manager. Okay. As it, some people are chief of village. Howard was a very good manager. Definitely, yeah. he also let me do my job. Yeah, I had a, a guest on, and he was saying that Howard basically, I think, bought one of the first Apple Mac computers and, and, and was showing this geo how to, you know, get organized on this. So 
Do you remember what kind of uh, what, what computers you were using in 95? Oh, digestion? that's OK. If you don't, probably, I'm just... I think they were IBM's. Oh, IBM. OK. All right. So Sandpiper, um, at least now. But you, if you wanted to get get anything, it's easy to get. Right. If you wanted to go see a movie, I assume you can go see a movie. Right. I mean, uh, oh, yeah. Okay. We didn't go out too much. I played a lot of golf. Oh, you did? Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, I, lo I love golf. I enjoy playing. When I was in Florida, my game got better. You know. So what's your handicap? What was your handicap then? Are you allowed to say? No, well, the handicap was I, I had a golf bag and I went on the course. Uh, that was <laughs> the problem. Uh, <laughs> but I never really took lessons. So I, would, I was shooting under 100 all the time, usually low 90s. That's so, good. Just about an 18 handicap. Okay. 18, 19, something like that. And uh, since you spent a year in Sandpiper this time, um, do you have any stories or anecdotes or anything before we move on? Oh, Sandpiper kind so of. I know you, you kind of, yeah, you kind of went back. We so were newlyweds. Yeah. We were newlyweds. You know, it was like she missed home, but, you know, we, d we did have a few problems with language with my wife and then, you know, being at the reception. But she she really, that's where she really improved her English to the point where you wouldn't know she wasn't a native speaker now. Okay. Yeah, when you're doing it, seven speaking English seven days a week, right? You're going to learn, right? Whether you want to or not. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have any clean stories or... Okay. Uh, <laughs> no problem. Well, I have well, a couple of good embarrassing ones, but I can't tell them. Okay. Right. Hey, we'll move on to Bali if that's okay. <laughs> With uh, yeah. Carlos Carlos Castro. So December 7, 96, Bali. Okay. So what's that like? What's it like being in Bali with Carlos? Oh my gosh. Bali is beautiful. It was absolutely the most breathtaking place that I have visited. It even topped Phuket. I mean, Bali, the people were so kind and wonderful and gentle and smiling, similar to the Thai people. But they treated my wife and I like royalty. You know, me, because I wrote the checks when I paid the suppliers. Karina, because she promoted their business. They treated us so nicely there. And it was in the midst of a financial crisis where the rupee was devaluing and it was it, from a business standpoint, it was difficult because every morning I was changing the rates at the cashier at the bank. So it was uh, it was it was difficult from the that type of work. But in terms of the ambience of the village, in, incredible, just incredible spiritual place. OK. And so, yeah, you stay about a year and you're there until. April 21st, 97. Now I know, I know something happened in Asia. So where you were, were you part of this? Uh, there were, it was a widespread series of forest fires uh, around that time. Do you remember that or, or it didn't affect you in Bali? I don't, I know that about, I've heard about them, but I don't recall them affecting us. Okay. Okay. Now yeah, as the islands are spread out a bit, I think we were okay. Okay. Any, uh, any appropriate anecdotes from uh, Bali, Kevin? <laughs> uh, 
appropriate. I mean, oh gosh, it's so hard to. Okay, no, no, it's okay. I mean, my wife wanted to leave because she wasn't making friends right away, but everybody was friendly, but she, she didn't, she was, she was homesick. Um, But then she loved it at the end. Oh, well, they always thought she was from Indonesia. They would always speak Basa to her. So we walk outside and because her Mexican complexion and the Indonesian complexion are not too far off, they would also speak, speak to her in Basa. And she would say, no, 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 I'm Mexican. And then they'd always say, ah, Maria Mercedes, who was a Mexican soap opera star. So the Mexican soap operas are huge in Indonesia back then. Really? So, yeah. I, well, what did I know? But the, the, we could see them when you'd go out and they'd be wa- watching their little black and white TVs in their little stalls where they're selling their trinkets and souvenirs. And there would be Maria Mercedes you know, with subtitles. Okay. Did you ever get into the Mexican soap operas? Actually, while we were in Sandpiper, we were watching one for a while. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised, but you know, you got to do things with your wife sometimes. You can't just yeah. be on your own, you know? Yeah, you can't always be on the golf course, right, Kevin? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Okay. Um, but well, yeah. yeah. There are a couple Mexican soap operas that we followed. All right. Well, yeah, you mentioned Sandpiper. So, yes. Yeah, so they do send you back to Sandpiper after Bali in June of 98 with uh, Greg Schneider. But I think you go from gestionnaire to personnel manager this season. Is that correct? Yes. Um, so when we finished up, we finished late and Silvio de Bortoli was in charge of the American villages, which were Copper and Sandpiper. And he was looking for a long term solution in personnel because they it, you can't, it's very hard. It was very hard for them to have the right people in place. So he offered it to me. I took it on the, on the, the idea, well, I'll try it. If I like it, I'll stay. And if I don't, I want to go back to be gestionnaire. And he said, okay, try it. So I tried it for a year. It was during that time we had a closing and a remodeling of the village, a renovation. And it wasn't for me is I'm too analytical, too black and white, and the personnel manager job is all about the gray. He said this, she said this, the management and the employee don't agree. Somewhere in the middle is the gray where where the truth is, but if I follow that gray line, neither side likes me or uh, is happy. So it, it wasn't something I was cut out for. So I went back to being gestionnaire, but at this time I was gestionnaire for the country club. Oh yes. Can you explain for those that don't know, maybe you've never been to Sandpiper what the country club is, please. Sure. So when club med took over the property, there was an established country club and hotel. There were several hundred members of the country club when they would play the Sinners and Saints golf courses. They'd have to spend a certain amount of money in the restaurants, the Greenside Pub, which faced the Sinners course, or the main restaurant. That Now Club Med goes in and they don't want to, they, they want to keep that business going. But naturally this is an older crowd. And over time, the clientele died off. Sorry to say, but that's what happened. That's life. And they weren't generating a lot of new clients. 
and the, the, the club's upkeep of the golf course wasn't superior. Let's put it that way. You know, Club Med knew how to run resorts, but not golf courses. So I was left in charge in of the country club side of the business, the business end and relations with the members, etc. I wasn't a chief of village, but I was kind of like a assistant manager for that property, that part of the business. It was challenging, but I liked it. Okay. And now around November 98, so the chief of village changes from Greg Snyder to Xavier Korn. Right. And is this the season 98 where your son, you have a son? Your son is born? Yes. Michael was born in Columbia Hospital Medical Center in Port St. Lucie. He forever says that he's a Floridian. Yes. <laughs> which may help him down the road in his political career. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, it was... Uh, well, he's literally a he's really a poster child, right? Can you explain why he's a poster child? Okay, yeah. So back to the renovation. When they finished the renovation, they they were putting up signs all around the village to mark like the boutique, the restaurant, the baby club, the mini club. So the photographer that was there saw this kid being wheeled around all the time. Said, "Can we use your son for the baby club?" So we have still the poster. It was about a, I would say about a 20 by 20 square with this headshot and a little bit of body of our son with sunglasses on. And he was basically the poster child for the baby club for the renovation. Yeah, that was, that was nice. Everybody loved Michael. You know, there was, he was like, he was baby Jesus. The one Christmas. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, he was he he was a little bit large, you know. <laughs> well, no, but that's good because every manger scene I did in ten years was always, you know, the toy baby. So at least you actually had an actual baby. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> Three months old, you know, and chubby cheeks, but you know, hey, baby Jesus. I was okay. Joseph, and Karina was Maria. So he's Jesus of Florida, basically. Right? <laughs> All right, and it looks like you you finish out your career in Sandpiper, right? After Xavier comes in, Lionel Benzoni. Was that a good way to to finish to finish on Sandpiper because you had been there so long? I made it a good finish. Okay, uh, <laughs> I mean, I had great time with that team. I did the Halloween which show. Which, which one? Um, sorry, Kevin. The uh, with the... Lionel's. Oh, Benzoni. Lionel Benzoni. Okay, sorry. Yeah. We did uh, a show called Halloween. It was a new production. It was for yes. and uh, I was the hunchback, and I had a a couple good parts in it. Uh, we, I was uh, fortunate to be able to actually go back to Sandpiper before Lionel left, and they were still doing Halloween, and I was able to redo my part. The team there, a couple of the people knew me, but most of them didn't know me. And they let me redo my part for a show one time as a GM in a, or as an ex-GO. Oh, you don't, was, you don't see that too often. I never, I've never seen that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that, that was uh, definitely, uh, it, it was fun. It was just so much fun the last season. I mean, I turned down two years in Israel. Uh, Karina was ready to settle down. 
And uh, I figured, hey, so you, turn, you turned down Coral Beach. Yes. Okay. Yes. It, yeah. it was uh, it was a tough decision to make. But knowing that we wanted or I wanted at that time, another son and Karina hadn't quite got to the point of agreeing. I said, it's better we get closer to her family or my family. And what state was the next child born in? Uh, he was born in the same hospital that I was born in, in New York. Okay, in, so he's a New Huntington. Yorker. Okay, yep. cool. cool. All right, so like we said, you finished up at Sam Piper. Now, here's a part of this, you know, the interview I like to ask of, uh, let's just say if I asked you of all the chiefs, would you say that Mike Coltman was the most fun? I would say he was definitely the most fun, but there were a lot that were fun. You know, they all had different personalities. There was only one that I didn't like in all my years. Okay, we won't mention that person. Okay. No, <laughs> but yeah, tell me the one you like, like Yay, like you were you were saying something about Yay that I I found interesting. I liked you? working for Yay because he he was like calm, but he really wanted the guests to be happy, and you almost it's like you wanted to make sure you were doing the job because. Papa was watching. Papa Yay. He was tough, but he was he was always very fair. And I like I like that. He kind of you knew what you needed to do and how to do it. And it made it made the experience for the guests fantastic. And you also worked with Kevin Batt, but when he was a chief of sport, correct? Yeah, I never got to work for Kevin as chief of village because he he became chief of village toward the tail end of my career. But I was in Cancun with him when he had his uh, accident, okay. which uh, was was tough because we used to play volleyball every day, Kevin and I. When we were in Martinique together, we, we were often together helping out doing the picnic and different other activities, playing basketball against the Venezuelans, et cetera. Hold yeah. up. Hold, hold up a second, Kevin. Are you saying that Justin went to the pic picnic in Martinique? Is this what you're telling me? Oh, yeah. Well, we had this... Uh, at the end of our season with Yay, we had the changeover and the, the new snorkeling geo who was supposed to be in charge of the picnic came from France. He didn't speak one word of English. We were teaching him English the first day. How is he going to take care of a group of New Yorkers? Eat them alive, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> who knows what would have happened? But uh, Yay was still chief. And he said, Kevin, Kevin and Fat Man. You guys take care of things. Okay. Can you, yeah, can we back up a sec? Because now, how have I never heard this this nickname or this person before, uh, Fat Man? What, what 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 job did they do in Club Med mostly? Okay. Mark Vandenbroek followed Ye all the time. Yeah. Uh, he was, he originally was a soccer player. He played for the Chicago Fire. He was a goalie. Really? He's out there in Facebook land, Mark Vandenbroek. But aren't goalies usually tall and lanky? Like, why why do they call him Fat Man? Well, he he also is from Belgium. You know what <sighs> they do in Belgium? They um, drink a lot of beer. Oh, that's true. Yes, you're right. Okay, so okay. He, he in some way, and he he uh, no, we just had great times together. Yeah, you know, the three of us were like the three musketeers when we were taking care of those last last month and a half of picnics. Okay, and if I say the uh, the name Juan Juan Granados, who is that? Oh, uh, he was my best man. He 
he actually saved my butt in Mexico because my passport was lost from the previous public relations person who was fired. And then Juan and I became good friends and he ended up moving to New York for a while. But now he's on the other side of the other side of the country, you know, but uh, we see him every once in a while and we still talk. And, you know, he's the godfather of uh, one of my sons. Oh, wow. Nice full circle moment there. Yeah. All right. Now, I know I know you can't name everyone you you worked, you know, so many years in, in Club Med. So please don't send Kevin angry emails, guys, if you left someone out. OK, <laughs> the list is too long and distinguished. Now, having stopped in 99, you know, roughly 23 years ago, is there anything like do you miss about Club Med now? Do you have time to think about it? Like in the winter, do you miss it more like I do? <laughs> well, being from Canada, I can imagine you miss, <laughs> miss it more in New York. The weather isn't much different, but it's funny. I, I was thinking about like, what do I miss besides the food and the drink, you know, the the cuisine, not having to cook and really the food is actually improved over time. I feel in many ways because they do so much specialty stuff. And we've been as a family at least, I don't know, eight or nine times to between reunions and trips on our own. I really enjoyed the flexible schedule I had as a gestionnaire because I had to do office hours, but I always had an assistant and I had some incredible assistants, including one that I had in Bali named Kauru Hino, um, who I could trust to handle the, the office if I was, for example, at the Flying Trapeze helping the team out there in the evening. You know, so that flexible schedule, despite being on 24-7 and having to get calls at three in the morning because someone fell and cracked their head open at the disco or whatever, you know, I could make my schedule. I could fit in time to do the things I liked. All right, maybe I worked 60 hours in my office, but it was when I wanted to. And then the last, I think, the tr all the travel and meeting of the cultures and truly being out of my comfort zone in a sense where I'm relatively introverted, although how could you be an introvert and work in Club Med? It's because the club pushes you. You're told to say hello, to wave, to not wear sunglasses so that they could see your eyes. And that little push helped me to have fun and to really bring out the good part of my personality for the guests and for all the people that I met along the way. That's very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Okay. Uh, I have just one, one last question after that. I don't, I don't ask it a lot because uh, it's um, lately people haven't had recurring dreams about club med. So I seem to be alone, but apparently not only do you have recurring dreams about club med, you have different ones, right? Mine's all, mine's always the same. So what are some of, your different club med dreams that you still have to this day? Oh gosh, it's I'm I'm, I'm everywhere. I, I'm in different resorts. I'm I'm uh, speaking different languages. Some some of the dream I'm dreaming in French. You know, I'm traveling to and from resorts. I've all sorts of stuff, and I think the reason is because I never stopped going to club med. You know, some geos they work a few years and maybe they never go back. You know, I know a few people who, who 
they they have no interest to go back. But we we've been done at least eight or nine trips as a family. We've you know my I went to a reunion re- on my own. My wife let me go a couple years back, and you know before COVID, and uh, I just I all sorts of dreams. They're random. They could be as I guess I'm too light of a sleeper. I wake up in the morning, I fall back to sleep, and I think of my good times in Club Med. It's just nonstop. But do you ever have one where you're, you wake up in a cold sweat because you can't balance the the, the logbook or whatever it is? Like, <laughs> does that ever happen? You can't find that error? <laughs> yeah, I'm looking for the two cents in the bank reconciliation. Yes, 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 exactly. It's always two cents and you have to get it to zero. <laughs> Yeah, have, well, there's a line for that. And the account number, I still remember, 627000. And I would write check difference. Okay, so you would actually have an account where you could put the difference in? If yes. It was, if it was yeah. minor and minor, I mean? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow, yeah. you still remember the number. Yikes. Yeah. I don't know if that's uh, good or bad. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> nice. Okay. Well, well, Kevin, man, is there anything I've forgotten to ask you or anything else you want to say before we go? Because I, uh, I really thank you for coming on, but uh, I want to give you one last opportunity if I uh, goof somewhere and didn't ask you about someone or something, or did we cover, I know we covered a lot, but you tell me, are we good to go? Well, I, I think we're, we're good to go. I hope I don't bore everybody. I mean, no. I've enjoyed some of your podcasts. Uh, I hope you guys at least get a chuckle or at least get a chance to relive or good memories. I'm sure they're going to chuckle because you had me going and I'm pretty hard to make laugh. So you, 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 you surprised me a few times. So yeah, I'm, I'm no doubt these people love this episode and, you know, I would love more gestionaires to come on, you know, please. It can't be just Steve, Steve and Kevin more, more come forward, please. Okay. <laughs> Victoria, have you reached out to Victoria John? She's Canadian. She was gestionaire for a while. Well, if you think she'd say yes, then I'm going to ask her. <laughs> he, he was, she was bubbly. Okay. He's still I do, bubbly. I, I do get rejected a lot, Kevin. Uh, it's just like I'm back at Club Med. Ha, ha, ha. Um, <laughs> but no, seriously, uh, I really want to thank you, sir, for, for coming on and sharing your story with us here today. Thank you very much. Thank you but, for inviting me. No, it was my, my pleasure, sir. All right, everyone, that was the great Kevin Klein, and we'll see you all next week with another new installment. Here's where we say bye, everyone, Kevin. Bye-bye. Be well. See ya.